Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Film for Fan podcast, your home for movie news, reviews, movie fan views, the podcast from movie fans for movie fans. I am your host, Ryan Dunleavy, and joined by oh, old school um, Philadelphia Union jersey today, Rob. Yeah, yeah I think it's uh, 2016, if I remember right. Authentic. And it's yeah. got the Union thing there on it. Nice, nice, nice. Right. One of my Ross finds, I think it was like 20 bucks for $150 jersey, something like that. That'll work. Yeah. Yep. Love it. All right. Well, we're going to talk about movies today because that's what we do here at Film for Fans. Uh, got a great show in store for you. We'll, of course, cover what's going on with the box office. We'll get into a little bit of a preview for Thor as uh, the new trailer dropped this past week. We'll go back to our movie philosophizing uh because i enjoyed that last time and uh of course our watch list all right rob let's do it uh box office results from last weekend uh tops at the box office not much of a surprise here fantastic beasts the secret of dumbledore uh did 42.2 million dollars in its first weekend sonic in its second weekend did 29.3 million after doing over 70 million in its first weekend. Uh, 6.2 million for The Lost City. Sneaking into the top five for the first time in its four week run, Everything Everywhere All at Once did $6.2 million this past weekend. And in its first weekend, Father Stu did 5.4 million. All right, some interesting things here, Rob. What do you, what do you make of box office results? Well, the first thing about the box office is I'm depressed because after last week, you said you wanted to go see everything everywhere all at once. And I did, too. And then I looked and it was not in York or Regal, uh, York <laughs> or Lancaster Regals. Um, it's already gone. <laughs> it is. It's somewhere. It was somewhere in Lancaster, I think. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, it was somewhere. So it's making money, just not the theaters I go to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's rough. So uh, I guess I'm going to have to check it out when it uh releases on streaming or video because i really do want to see that movie um not surprised that fantastic beast is number one i actually was uh not part of those numbers but I'm part of the following week's numbers because i went and saw it last night okay my family so i have some thoughts about that later on and talk mm -hmm. about our watch list um and sonic remaining strong uh obviously a fairly significant drop but we've seen that with pretty much every movie that's come out um, so it's not too much of a surprise. Yeah. Uh, for me, for me, the two things that stood out, one was not that Fantastic Beast was number one, but the amount it did. 42 million is not, is not a big showing for something from the Harry Potter franchise. I think I don't, you will have to get into, you'll have to tell me whether you thought it was a good movie or not. However, I think this just kind of shows you that this series has not captured the heart of the Harry Potter fans. Because uh, that franchise still remains incredibly strong. And um, the Fantastic Beast trilogy has just not carried over the same energy with, with fans that the, uh, that the original series did. Uh, so that's my first observation. Second one is everything everywhere all at once coming into the top five for the first time uh, does illustrate that word of mouth is starting to get out about this film. And I wonder if theaters will start 
maybe a little bit reconsidering putting it back into theaters as as the numbers go up for it uh as this film has kind of been a slow burn of increase as people have seen it and given good reviews and and kept going forward so i wonder if we'll see it come back but who knows all right so that's uh that's what this past weekend's box office was all about uh three main movies opening uh this weekend and they all have a slightly different appeals to them in their own way uh number one the northman and this is a movie about uh the vikings and um it is this one is visionary director robert eggers uh, comes the Northman, an action-filled epic that follows a young Viking prince on his quest to avenge his father's murder. Uh, so that's the Northman. The second one we have, and yes, it is here. It is time. The long wait is now over. <sighs> the unbearable wait of massive talent is here. It arrives in the box office this weekend. And yes, this is about a cash-strapped Nicolas Cage, our favorite actor on the entire history of the Film for Fans podcast, <laughs> agrees. Nicolas Cage agrees to be paid appearance to make. Sorry, let me start over again. A cash-strapped Nicolas Cage agrees to make a paid appearance at a billionaire superfan's birthday party, but is really an informant for the CIA, since the billionaire fan is a drug kingpin and gets cast in a Tarantino movie. If that sounds like a lot, it is uh. all the right ways. <laughs> so we'll, we'll get back to that one in a second. Uh, the third movie is, uh, is the bad guys. And this one is an animated feature uh, starring Sam Rockwell and uh, Mark Marin. Aquafina is in this, Craig Robinson is in this, and uh, this stars uh, several reformed yet misunderstood criminal animals attempt to become good with some disastrous results along the way. So this is, uh, this is an animated movie, and it's uh, got a decent cast to it. All right, Rob, interesting, interesting weekend in the box office. What, what do you make of it? What do you got? So, so far, as far as weekends go in the box office, this is the one I'm most excited about yet this year. Yeah. Because I want to see all three of these movies for different reasons. Mm -hmm. um, the bad guys, I'll probably watch my kids um, because I know they want to see it after watching the trailer for it. I think it looks funny. I like a good spin on classic tales. Like it makes, it reminds me of like the stinky cheese man or yeah. um, like the, the big bad wolf who was actually like good. You know, the, yeah, like the true story of the three yeah, little pigs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah, so I feel it has that kind of vibe to it, I think. So yeah. I'm very interested in seeing what they do with that. Um, the unbearable weight of massive talent, obviously, I've been waiting for like a year or four, ever since I heard it was a thing. Exactly. <laughs> I still keep on waiting to like get a ticket and walk in and be like, just it was just a joke, guys. This doesn't actually happen. <laughs> and um, i would be 100 percent okay with that yeah. the case and the northman um i think despite how excited i am about the unbearable weight of massive talent 
I think the movie I most anticipated coming out yet this mm. year is Northman. Yes. Um, because you and I both saw The Lighthouse. Um, I've seen The Witch, too. I don't know if you've seen that. It's more of a horror movie. Um, but Robert Eggers is like... I, I find him... I find his visual aesthetic, just how he how he directs to be very appealing. I think he's a very talented director. And from what I've seen in the trailers and publicity for this movie, I think it's going to be right up there with that level. And the people who are in it too make me excited about what it's going to be. Yeah. And I didn't, uh, I did not announce that. So uh, the Northman stars, Alexander Skarsgård, Nicole Kidman, Clias Bang, Ethan Hawke, Anna, Anya Taylor-Joy, uh, Willem Dafoe is in this one as well. Uh, so uh, an excellent cast. And so is Bjork. <laughs> That's right. Apparently, That's right. Bjork is in there. Bjork plays like this creepy, like mystic lady with no eyes. But, like it, in the trailer, I've seen a couple images of her and it looks creepy as heck. <laughs> well, there is no other choice when Bjork is involved. Yeah. There just isn't. Well, she just showed up in her regular clothes and they're like, oh, you look like you could play Chris creepy mystic lady without eyes. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. <laughs> I mean, yeah, her I act hasn't I, changed since the 90s. Just having seen um, the trailers and stuff for this movie so far, I, I'm really into like, um, I think when it comes to historical things, the two things that I'm most into movie-wise are Vikings and uh, the Arthurian legend. Hmm. So this feels like it's in that vein of movies that I'm really interested in. Yeah, I, I I read some comments on this and someone said like you almost need like a degree in Viking history to be able to completely understand the depths of this movie. And mm. to me that 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 intrigues me, not because I'm someone who has a massive amount of historical knowledge of the Vikings, but that means this is not just going to be a simple action movie where it's loosely tied to the Vikings and you just get a bunch of violence. I feel like this is going to be a movie that has substantial substance to it. That is going to take you on an actual journey. It's going to bring you uh, an actual plot, something to sink your teeth into uh, while creating an incredible visual aesthetic and, and a lot of your typical uh, medieval action type type feel to it. And I, I don't, I, I say this, like, I think if you're interested in this movie, you probably should make an effort to go see it in the first week if you can, because I don't think he has reached the point as a director yet where people are like clamoring to see his stuff. And I don't, I don't think this movie is a movie that's going to do like huge numbers. So I'm not sure how long it will be out, but I feel like the more stuff he produces in this vein, like, quality wise i think i hope he'll start getting some more recognition and be given the opportunity to do some some bigger things because i think he's unquestionably um he's only i think he's only done five movies so far so unquestionably he's one of the best like not very experienced directors out there at the moment yeah and there's something about the publicity of an opening weekend when a film that people aren't expecting a ton from does really well there's natural publicity for that. And it like, that is all, not, all it needs really. And so I agree, go see this one right away. Now, 
I have to get to uh, the unbearable weight of massive talent. Uh, now I don't normally, I don't normally bring this up because I like to go, I like people to go in fresh and, and experience movies, but this movie got a hundred percent of Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> that makes me unbearably happy to use uh, the unbearable weight of massive talent. Uh, I am unbearably happy that this movie got a hundred percent of Rotten Tomatoes. That, that just like the joy that gives me to see Nicolas Cage in a movie that's extremely well-reviewed where he's playing a himself basically being the characterization of himself is, is fantastic. Uh, I love that this is getting a good review. Yeah, they did. Uh, I saw an interview with him where he said he thinks the best work he's done has been in the last few years, mm. including this movie. So uh, we'll see. That's, that's a hefty bar to lift, man. Yeah. That is a yeah. hefty bar to lift. Okay. All right. So that's uh, that's the box office. What's coming up this weekend? Go see one of these movies. There's there's something for everyone. I think there's a lot to there's a lot to sink your teeth into. Go to the movies this weekend. See one of these movies. All right. The new Thor trailer dropped. Rob, did you get a chance to see it? And what do you make of it? I did, and uh, I'm very interested in seeing couch potato thor um <laughs> transform into actually trying again thor yeah because couch potato thor and the last avengers movie was hilarious <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. i'm very interested in seeing what he uh what what they show um that transition being like and how it happens and uh i love uh taika watiti's direction with ragnarok mm -hmm. Yep. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he does with this one too. I saw a great picture. It, it was a meme and it showed like this all decked out, bedazzled, like pink feather boas and a crown and everything. And it said Thor Ragnarok, Thor Love and Thunder. And overdressed in like goth, like all black and black lipstick and like rolling his eyes was Thor the Dark World. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think we can uh, agree that um, the the uh, flamboyant universe Thor is way more fun than Thor the Dark World Thor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so the two things that stuck out to me, this one is it looks like you're going to get a significant role for uh, the Guardians of Galaxy crew in this film. You're going to get a significant role for them, uh, which is really good. And how skinny is Chris Pratt. <laughs> My goodness. The jacked, massive, muscled Chris Pratt is gone, man. <laughs> From all those dinosaurs chasing him. Yeah. Like he is he is not so jacked anymore. Not that he's <laughs> not that he's fat or anything. He's just significantly skinnier. I mean, obviously so in the trailer for this film, which is which is fascinating. Uh my anticipation of this movie is uh one, I have very high expectations for it uh, between the success of the some Thor have been some of my favorite movies from Marvel, followed by the Guardians of the Galaxy films. Both those crews are going to be in this. Waititi is is a fantastic director. And the amount of humor I think that's going to be in this film is going to be high. It's going to be very, very high, I think. And that I look forward to. Uh what do you make of the potential female Thor they uh, they hinted at there? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, 
Uh, I found what I also found interesting is that they didn't reveal uh, Christian Bale's character. Correct. In the first trailer. So I'm wondering if they're going to have a separate one for him or if they're going to hold that back for the movie to come out. Maybe just have little snippets of what his character does because uh, according to the storyline, he's going to be trying to overthrow the gods who they did show briefly. They showed Zeus um, in this trailer. So you wonder what his impact will be on the movie. And grand as Christian Bale, I'm pretty sure he's going to be phenomenal because Christian Bale doesn't really um, half commit to any role ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we'll see. But that will be coming out shortly. And uh, we look forward to that. Along these same lines, we got to get into we got to get into toys a little bit. So Hasbro announced that they are offering a life-size Mjolnir that would be Thor's hammer. The toy company is offering a life-size replica of Thor's hammer. For all of you nerds and geeks and all of these things out there, uh, this is an incredible offering. Uh, the replica has a base display. It has light-up effects and thunder sounds. Hopefully, the, the sound effects have improved since the toys that came out when we were kids. <laughs> uh, now, it's a little bit steep if you're looking for it. Mjolnir electric hammer is priced at $131.99. Uh, it will, uh, I think it's going to be available April 26th, it looks like. So uh, you can get your uh, get your pre-orders going. Uh, what what do you make of a life-size replica toy of Thor's hammer? Uh, I mean, I'm not going to buy it, but it sounds <laughs> like something <laughs> somebody will probably be interested in and will probably sell a few good fair few of them to people. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I the there's an endless ability for commercialization when it comes to <laughs> comic book movies so i'm not surprised yeah that this is coming out among the huge array of other things that will come out too yeah and so let's spend a couple minutes on that this is one of the under the under talked about underappreciated I, I don't know how the way to describe it aspects of movies is movies make a tremendous amount of money on the merchandise on the toys if you can make a movie that people want to go out and get the toys for that becomes an incredibly successful enterprise. And this is a huge aspect of movies. Uh, so let's talk about that for a moment. Like how big let's, let's start with you as a kid. I mean, I think the Thor's hammer is clearly designed more for adults as an mm -hmm. adult toy than it is for kids toy, but let's think about it from when you were a kid, how big were you into movie toys as a kid? I wouldn't say I was massively into them just because I didn't really have a lot of toys. <laughs> um, so like, I guess the movie toys that I was into were like the ones I could get in half meal, <laughs> mm -hmm. which would, you know, happen every once in a while. Like, um, or when I got a little older, there were like pogs mm -hmm. that, that had movies on them that I liked. Uh, <laughs> and I know I had a fair, fair amount of like star Wars toys and Legos and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, 
but I, I never I, I don't think I ever really intentionally like went out and picked things because it was a movie that I liked like hmm. it just wasn't something I was that crazy into but I know a lot of people are interesting yeah um I, I reflect back on it and um I'm trying to think how many how many toys movie related toys and, and there's just a few things that came to mind like uh, one I really, really, really wanted at the time, but never got was, uh, a lightsaber. Cause we were kind of in between when I was watching the movies, we were kind of in between the movies coming out, you know, when I was watching them in the late eighties, early nineties, and there weren't, there weren't as many star Wars toys available. Uh, they'd kind of been out of the box office for long enough. Uh, so I never got one, but that was one I really, really wanted. But I can remember the second thing I I wanted that I got a version of was a Star Trek phaser. Mm. I did have a phaser toy. I got it right before the 1996 uh, film Star Trek First Contact came out. And I brought the phaser with me into the theater to watch the opening premiere. <laughs> uh, now, I unfortunately did not get the one I really wanted, which was the laser pointer version, because they had an actual laser pointer version of the of the phaser. I did not get one of those because uh, they were significantly more expensive. But I definitely brought a phaser with me into the Star Trek movie. Nice. Yeah. But that that's always been a big thing. Toys and movies go hand in hand. And sometimes the success or failure of a movie can be blamed on how successful the toys are. I mean, obviously the Disney movies are huge for this. Even the uh, Mar or the, the Marvel movies a little bit, but even the um, um, Pixar, that's the one I'm looking at. Even the Pixar movies have, have mm -hmm. done well from the toy perspective, this is especially big in kids movies, but it does cross over into other movies as well. Yeah, if you've ever okay. been to a Disney store, you'll see that the amount of toys and memorabilia mm -hmm. they create for movies is virtually endless. The but amount of have, princess yeah. dresses my nieces yeah. have is off the charts. And if you actually like go to Disney World and walk around, it's even crazier. Yeah. It's like the like literally hundreds of shops within the parks mm -hmm. selling different things that you could get. Yeah. Yeah. So an underrated aspect of movies, how well the toys sell. All right, if, so you've never seen, yeah, okay. if you've never seen the movie Spaceballs, you need to watch that just for their scene about <laughs> merchandising. Right. Yeah, I forgot about that. You're right. Yeah. Spaceballs, <laughs> the toilet paper. <laughs> okay, let's get to into our discussion. Uh, so a number of weeks ago, we did something, a segment called Movie Philosophizing, where we... Uh, broke down a specific movie or a specific scene and analyzed the philosophy behind it. And each one of us chose one and we'll do that same thing again this week. We thought we'd hit it up again because we enjoy this part of, uh, of movies. Uh, so what we'll do is we'll pick a specific movie or a specific scene from a movie and we'll each break down the philosophy and the meaning behind it. Rob, would you like to go first? Sure. So with The North Man coming out um, with Robert Eggers, all I could think about was The Lighthouse, mm. which we saw. And the thing that I consider the message of The Lighthouse to really be is the existential dread of being alone in the world. Mm. 
mm-hmm. because even though these two characters are theoretically together are they (laughs) because i think they're both going crazy on their own Mm -hmm. um if in fact they are both present which i think is there's an argument to be made about whether or not they are um but i think that movie does a fantastic job of building this feeling of the unease of what happens when there's no interaction with mm-hmm. like re- regular people around you. Yeah. Um, that the, the fear of solitude and what it can do to you, you hear echoes of things. You see things that don't exist. Um, you have dreams and visions of terrifying things that don't exist, or maybe they're actually happening. Who knows? Um, but the, I, re- I really liked when it came to this movie, the intense focus on the characters' facial expressions and you could see their emotion as they were talking and going through scenes. And I think the black and white really helped with that personally, because I think it brought out like a lot of contrast and shadow and made you focus more intently on some of those things. Um, It's definitely a weird movie. There's no doubt about that, but um i think it's very grounded like i said in the fact that we all fear coming to a place where we don't have any support and that's kind of the underlying theme i felt from that movie and the left the left you when the movie's over left you feeling like this uncomfortable weight love like what if i end up alone because that's what happens to these people think along the same lines uh i remember reading a quote that said we outsource our sanity in other words we have weird thoughts that come into our head all the time and what we do is we try them out on other people and other people tell us whether they're acceptable or not now obviously this this whole process can break down but when you're isolated or even when two people are isolated if in fact there are two people in this story um and both of you are experiencing that same thing. There's no one to check your thoughts. So they just start running amok in your mind. And that just lead in this movie, it just leads you down that spiral. So I think it's a fantastic example of that philosophy of how if there's no one to outsource your thoughts to to give you feedback on these, on these things as, as your mind is going nuts, uh, you just continue traveling down the path. I, I think obviously it was a very interesting artistic style choice to shoot this movie in four by three to shoot it in black and white. Mm -hmm. But I feel like given the source material, the more and more I think about it, the more I've watched it, it makes a lot of sense to me that it was done that way because I really think it adds to that feeling of like just this stark world where nothing ever changes. And it's just like the same over and over and it's black and white and it's dull and there's no, like there's never any like bright life that springs up that like changes the monotony of these people's day. Like it's just, they're trapped and it's, they're in the middle of a storm throughout the whole movie, basically in real life and in their minds. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really do think that when he did that, it wasn't just a, Oh, look how cool I can be. I can do this in four by three. I can do it in black and white. Like I feel like there was an actual reason 
behind that and I see it more the more times I watch the movie. I can get behind I can get behind black and white on occasion. Um, I have I will say I have a harder time I have a harder time seeing the value of four by three. Mm-hmm. Just do like maybe it's because I'm so used to widescreen now, but I just enjoy seeing more of the environment. And I constantly feel like when I'm watching four by three movies that I'm missing something. Mm. And I know there, that can be a cinematic tactic. Right. Um, I just, it's not one I overly enjoy. So, but yeah, yeah. I agree with yeah, you. I think it's that, I think that adds, adds to the feeling of like the, like just claustrophobia of this movie really yeah. i i i feel like there was a reason for it. i i don't feel like he just did it just because um now whether you like it or not that's an entirely different question but i do think there was a valid reason for him to do it with this movie in particular mm-hmm. got anything else on that one nope okay uh, so for me, I'm choosing a particular scene from the movie Flight of the Phoenix. This is a 2004 film, and uh, the the cast on this one. I will give you a brief rundown of the entire cast here. Okay, so Dennis Quaid, Miranda Otto, uh, Giovanni Ribisi, Tyrese Gibson, Tony Curran, uh, Hugh Laurie of House Fame is in this one. And uh, Scott Michael Campbell, who is a, a well-known, uh, lesser, uh, smaller part actor. Uh, so basically, the plot of this movie is that a group of, of misfits from an oil, a failed oil refinery, uh, get picked up by Dennis Quaid and Tyrese Gibson, who are pilots, uh, to fly them out as they're closing down their failed oil refinery. And they get caught in a sandstorm and uh, crash land in the middle of the Gobi Desert in China. And immediately this misfit crew is faced with the possibilities of, will we get rescued or won't we? We're out in the middle of nowhere. How do we survive? And there's lots of tension and there's lots of fighting and infighting between everyone looking to Dennis Quaid as the pilot to lead and he doesn't want to. And there in comes Giovanni Rabisi, who has this idea to use the damaged parts of their plane to build a new plane. And Dennis Quaid immediately rejects the idea and says, no, we're not doing it. We need to just sit here and wait for rescue. And this becomes a tension point amongst the crew. And at one point after arguing about this, uh, one of the characters goes and they wake up to find him gone he left he went to hike the desert um so everyone freaks out about this and dennis quaid uh, reluctantly decides he's going to go after him and try and bring him back so that's the setting for the scene that i'm going to break down here so dennis quaid the pilot catches up to this guy and they're out there in the desert and He says, hey, why don't we come back? Let's come back. Let's do it. And and the man challenges him and he says, why don't we build the plane? Why don't we do it? Why don't we take this idea? Why don't we build the plane? 
And he says, because I don't believe it's going to work. I don't believe it. He's like, why not give people hope? And Dennis Quaid says, why would I give people false hope? And there's this fascinating exchange here where uh, the character, I think, is, I think his character name is Liddy. Little, Lytle, Lytle. And he says this, he says, if you give a man one thing, give him someone to love. If you can't give him that, give him hope. If you can't give him hope, just give him something to do. <laughs> and it's this fascinating moment that resonates, uh, it resonates with the pilot. And they decide to go back and build the plane. But I want to break down this whole idea of hope. And faced with a situation where they had no idea what to do, they had no idea where to proceed and what would work and what, what wouldn't. The idea that giving people something to do, giving them a goal, giving them something to work on provides hope is really, really fascinating. Um, another quote that I, I thought was really profound that I came across recently says this, we experience almost all of our hope in relationship to defined goals. Now, I think that's really fascinating, especially in the context of this, this scene in the movie. Basically, the one character, he's like, I am not just going to sit around here and die. I'm not going to sit around here waiting for something to happen to us. Um, and I think there's so much, there's so much truth in that is that what people need, when people need a sense of hope, what they really need is something to shoot for, something to aim for, something to try and accomplish. And that's basically what this character is trying to tell the pilot. He's saying, look, we're out here in the middle of nowhere. We're struggling. We're stranded. We have all these things that aren't going for us. We need something to hope in. And for us to have something to hope in, we need something to do. We need some kind of goal to achieve, even if it doesn't work. And that's what you find in this movie. It's the, it's the critical moment for the movie because they go back, they attempt to build a plane, and the entire crew rallies together to try and make this plane work. Morale improves. They have a sense of hope. And that's exactly what you need in those situations. And I think that's something that people don't always realize is that the more defined you the goals are in life, the greater the sense of hope that can provide. So I think it's a really profound moment in the movie. Yeah, as, as you're saying that, I was just looking up um, something because, mm. you know, that when you bring up the concept of hope, when I think hope in movies, I my favorite movie is what comes to mind every time. Mm. So it's Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Because in the movie, um, Red, uh, Morgan Freeman's character, it says that hope is a dangerous thing. Mm -hmm. It can drive a man insane because you are faced with this impossible situation, in their case being in prison, in the case of Flight of the Phoenix crew being in a desert, that there's no way out of. So why would you have why would you entertain the idea of hope when there's nothing to hope for mm -hmm. and i've i i think that maybe the dialogue in the shawshank redemption is what makes me love it the most maybe it's why it's my favorite movie because i care about um how things are written yeah um because andy's response to that is to say to red that 
uh, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. And then the famous quote, I guess it comes down to a simple choice, really, get busy living or get busy dying. Yep. And that's really what the Flight of the Phoenix crew yeah. decided. Absolutely. Instead of sitting around and being comfortable and relaxed to wallow in self-pity and just disappear eventually, um, they decide to get busy living because what 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 is what do you stand to lose by trying i think is really the main message thematically from that and when i think about the shawshank redemption too yeah yeah and and as people we need that we need hope we need goals we need things to move us forward we need something in the future to look forward to some aim that we're trying to hit and when we don't have it it just creates a tremendous sense of of loneliness and isolation and, and meaninglessness. And that's what you see in this movie is, is the character of Lytle just like, I'm just taking off in the desert. I don't care if it's a terrible idea. I just need some goal. I need some direction. And, and you're right. That is the exact meaning of the Shawshank Redemption, the value of hope and, and what it does and what it can mean, especially in dark situations or in dark times. That's when you need it the most even though that's when it sometimes feels like you it's hardest to generate. And I think that hope is more related to real life, but you don't need to hope necessarily for the biggest huge goal mm -hmm. right away. Like you hope for a smaller goal, achieve yeah. that and then move on to the next one because part of success with hope is to continually set a new goal for yourself. Yeah. Because if you, if you set one major goal, that's the only thing you care about and you get to it, what do you do then? I think you see this in professional athletics too, that um, people spend their whole lives trying to win a championship in whatever they're playing. We've just heard a lot of people in the moment, obviously they're overjoyed, but then they say that it, it really didn't mean as much as they thought because they just wanted it again. Um, so what, what, what are your realistic you know, goals to get to that end point, I guess. And for the Flight of the Phoenix um, crew, it was to just step one was start. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true of a lot of people. A lot of people aren't doing things or moving towards things that they could accomplish. Fitness, exercise, um, reading, who knows uh, any number of things because they're, they're just not willing to start and yeah. you have to start somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that ends our, our segment on movie philosophizing. Uh, we will definitely hit this one up again uh, sometime down the road. And now we'll finish up with our watch list movies that we've watched over the past week. Rob, what'd you watch? So I actually took your advice and I watched the courier. Ah, um, nice. Excellent. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. It's definitely very much a slow burn mm -hmm. movie. So I will I will say that if you're not into like tense, slow dramas, then you're probably not going to like this movie. But I am. <laughs> so I liked it. Um, I think that a lot of the movie is really just um, building up to where uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's character ends up. And you see like the weight of everything. And how 
real this was and how dangerous what he was doing was and what an impact it had. And I think it's hard even for us because we were not around in the early 60s when this was going on to understand just how terrified people were in this country about what was happening in Cuba. But I have talked to some relatives who were um, around that time and heard their perspective. And when you hear about kids having to do drills where they hid under desks Mm -hmm. or had to run to a a basement fallout shelter or, you know, I I think the line that really stuck out to me uh, the most was when the CIA agent said to his character, the four minute warning for the missile defense system isn't going to do you any good because you're not going to get home in time. You're not going to get to your son in time. So would you rather have it come down to you hating yourself because you can't decide between those two things? Or would you rather do something now so that you don't have to decide? Um, that was very powerful. Yeah. So I, I definitely enjoyed it. Um, and, and then I also saw uh, Fantastic Beasts, the new movie that just came out this weekend. Um, watching this movie made me really think through what has transpired with the Fantastic Beasts series. And I think my perspective on it has changed a little. Mm-hmm. I, I understand that people are disappointed that it's not Harry Potter. It's not the same level of like magic or wonder, I think. But I also, after watching this one, I kind of feel like the series is a bit misunderstood hmm. because I, I don't think it's trying to be Harry Potter. And I think that that's why people who really like Harry Potter are frustrated with it. Because to me, it's more, um, it's more drama. It's more adult oriented than the Harry Potter movies, although the last couple definitely were moving in that direction. Um, tonally, I feel like there's more of a, it's definitely way more of a political intrigue story um, than the Harry Potter movies were. And when you think about it, there has to be, that has to be happening at some point in the world for everything that's happening at Hogwarts to exist. There has to be like a political world behind that somewhere where there's like, there's structure in place, there's order in place. And I think explaining all that through this series is effective, but I think that a lot of people, that's not what they're going to a movie set in like the Harry Potter world to see. Mm-hmm. So for me, who I'm someone who's very into drama, very into storytelling, very into like, why are things the way they are? I think I appreciate this series a little bit more, especially after seeing this last one. Um, Understanding what it actually is. Uh, It's not Harry Potter. And I think that's okay, but I think that because it's in the same world, people are frustrated with that, and I understand why. Hmm. Um, I actually think that Mads Michelson did a very good job of taking over the part of uh, Grindelwald in this movie. Um, I, I like the character of Newt, but he is very much like 
just like I said, the movies aren't Harry Potter movies. Newt's not really a Harry Potter character either. Yeah. Like he's, he's his own thing. Yeah. Um, so I understand why people don't necessarily resonate with him. But following his story through the three movies, I kind of see like what they're trying to do. Um, but I, like I said, I like it, but I completely understand why people don't. That makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's interesting. So I, I mean, I, I would recommend watching it, but I would also say that if you didn't like the first two, odds are you won't like this one. <laughs> Um, but I, I definitely enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a good thought and it's, it's an interesting perspective to take on, on, uh, on this, on this trilogy. So good, good. Glad to hear it. Uh, so I watched one movie this week. I watched the walk and I really, really enjoyed this movie. I, I continue to enjoy it. So I, I watch it not all the time, but somewhat frequently and this is um, this is a movie starring starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and um, it is about the 1974 incident where uh, high wire artist Philippe Petit uh, strings a high wire between the two twin towers and then walks across it, and it's the story about the buildup of how he came to this idea, and then, as he would put it, the coup. Uh, for how he pulled it off. And it's an incredible story. It's incredible to think about. Uh, but the cinematography in this one is, is so well done from Robert Zemeckis, who's an excellent director, has been for a very long time. Uh, you really, really get the sense of what he's doing. I mean, the shots along the edge of the building are kind of terrifying. He spends a lot of time, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's uh, Philippe Petit, spends a lot of time jumping on and around the edge of the building. And it just, especially if you're a height person, it just kind of gives you like, oh, man. Uh, they do a great job in this movie of giving you that sense of taking you out onto his high wire as he walks across the Twin Towers and just how difficult a task this really was. Um, it's part heist style movie. Um, it's part adventure story. But the great thing, I think the, the underrated aspect of this movie that was so well done uh, was that it pays incredible tribute to the Twin Towers without being an overt tribute. It allows, it allows you to just feel the sense of these buildings in the background. And it does it in such a beautiful and subtle way. Um, even, even there's a quote at the end where he gets, uh, afterwards he gets, a, he gets a lifetime pass to the observation deck on the world trade towers. And he, you know, it shows him standing on like the, the tower of the, of the statue of Liberty with the twin towers in the background. It says, you know, normally these passes have a particular expiration date on it, but mine just says forever. And it just, it just has the Twin Towers with the light shining on them in the background. And just, just like the subtle tribute to, to the, what those buildings were and what they meant to the city of New York and to the U.S. was really well done without having to be like call attention to itself, as it were. Uh, really well done movie. I highly recommend it. And it's a rare PG movie that's not an animated movie. Mm. They're very few and far between these days. Have you seen this one? I have not seen it yet, no. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's very good. I recommend it. It's not on any streaming services, uh, but you can rent it. Cool. All right. You got anything else, Rob? I do not. I'm ready to go watch some movies this weekend. All right. Make sure you check out Film for Fans. Our, our recommendations, our movie recommendations from last week for what's on Netflix and Amazon Prime are up on the website. Uh, so make sure you go to filmforfans.com and check that out.